Hi everyone, I'm super excited to welcome my next guest. She's a former Goldman Sachs and an entrepreneur and now running a gingerbread capital fund of fund and a direct investment fund alongside Linio Roberts. Um, welcome to SheVC. I'm your founder and host, Gayatri Sarkar. She's Ita Ekpudam, a partner at Gingerbread Capital. I am super excited to welcome you today. And, and you know, as we started, this was so impromptu. And you have such an amazing experience in the venture capital world, in the institutional world. So let's, let's dive in deep, like what brought you into venture capital and what were you doing before venture capital? Well, I mean, if we really want to go back to the beginning, let's be clear, you're supposed to be talking to Dr. Ida Kudam right now. I am the failed Nigerian doctor that did not happen because I dropped pre-med in college. But um, so once I decided not to be pre-med, I, I thought about where did I want to go? And I actually studied social psychology in undergrad. Wow. I did a study in social psychology with a minor uh, certificate in, in Princeton speak in finance. Um, and so, you know, I was, I laugh and I say, what do people who do their senior thesis on interpersonal rejection do? You go to Wall Street and that's what I did. <laughs> um, and so my first job out of college was at Goldman Sachs where I spent the, the first uh, portion of my career uh, doing um, debt capital markets. And then I was a trader of preferred stock which full circle now is the instrument, the vehicle preferreds uh, that we use a lot in, in the venture capital world. Yeah, and let's talk about your amazing experience, um, you know, when you're doing all of this thing, meeting uh, Linnea and starting the gingerbread capital. Yeah, so um, I actually, Linnea and I were overlapped at Goldman Sachs, but we did not know each other. I laughed, I was like, I was an analyst and associate. She was a partner. Our worlds did not collide. I, I'd probably be one of those people who like, oh, I was in a room with her. Did she talk to me? I, actually, we covered different things. So I know we never uh, met while we were at the firm. But um, so we were both there at the same time. And I left in 2008, right before all of the markets, like, you know, I, I say I time markets well. I left before all the bottom fell out. Um, and she stayed at the firm until 2016. So Lene was a former co-head of tech banking um, at Goldman. And so, you know, while she was still there, I went off to business school. I went and worked on the corporate side um, for American Express and then for a private equity uh, owned tech company in the hospitality space. And then I started my own company because I was like, I got to that kind of 2013 timeframe and I was reading all these articles like, you know, women don't want to be CEOs. Women don't want to be in this rat race or they want to create lifestyle businesses and work-life balance. And I was like, no, women do want to be all of those things. They yes. just don't want to have to deal with some of the BS that comes with all the FaceTiming and all the things that are not doing your work uh, that goes into, into part of what it takes to rise inside major corporations. And the data was already showing that women were leaving and starting businesses faster than any other demographic with black women being the ones leaving and starting the fastest rate uh, of new businesses. And so I kind of thought to myself, I was like, well, you know, how do I go be a part of the thing that I want to see happen? And I believe that I would see it earlier stage versus waiting for, you know, parity in the corporate landscape, which all those uh, reports say is like a <laughs> hundred years away. And I'm like, mm, I'm not trying to wait like that long. 
Yeah, yeah. So you are such a rock star. You've been at Goldman. You know, I was there actually during the recession period over there. Uh, really enjoyed working. So now you're backing superstar rock stars like you. So, so let's talk a little bit about the investment thesis in Gingerbread Capital. Yeah. So then, you know, after Linnea retired, uh, she laughs. I laugh. Uh, anybody that meets her knows she has more energy than certainly I do than a lot of people. But she lasted about three months retired, and she um, realized that she made a private investment, her first uh, investment, which is our only all male investment, Sightglass Coffee. And she realized that she never made a private investment until she retired. She's like, wow. I spent my entire career doing other people's deals and I'd never done one. And it's not like, you know, sometimes you think lack of capital, lack of all of these kind of things. And she was like, if a woman like me who had capital um, and, and wasn't, didn't make an investment, like how, do, how is there not, of course, the divide that we're seeing? And so that was the kind of her aha moment. She did the uh, uh, test of the landscape. She loves a good competitive landscape slide and just kind of saw what, we already now well know is that, you know, not a lot of capital is going to female founders and there's not a lot of women sitting in check writing positions, uh, writing, uh, writing the checks. And so she was like, well, I can do something about that with yeah. starting with my own money and my own funds. And that's what started um, Gingerbread Capital. So she started it in 2016 and then I joined her in 2018. It's about to be three years wow. uh, in July. And so, you know, we both felt the same thing of like this dynamic about it, it's not that women don't want to be doing these things. It's not that women are not even out there doing these things. It's just the capital flowing to them and the access to get into the rooms to kind of kick the doors open. Uh, we're not there. And so that's kind of where we both agreed and felt strongly together that we could bring uh, our respective ability to bring capital to them, but also more importantly, especially for female founders who don't have those networks, get them in the room to then take it to the next level. But that's also part of the reason why we're not the first check into any particular company because you know we're ex-investment bankers that dealt with you know, publicly <laughs> traded very large private companies. So we're not gonna be the one that's like, this is the future, you know, bumble like from the, like the first idea. But we are able to see when things have reached a certain state of product market fit and you're like, okay, if you had a little bit more uh, five fuel for this fire and had the ability to get in front of X, Y, Z kinds of people and companies, perhaps you could get to the next level. And that's where we think our strongest, um, uh, our strengths lie. And that's what we bring to the table with Gingerbread and our team. That's great. So let's talk about the Emerging Manager Program. Right now, you, you kind of stopped your Emerging Manager Program. You have back like 18 uh, amazing uh, emerging managers. Let's 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 discuss. Like, are you the first check who um, in their fund, or how, how do you look at it? How do you look at the track record also? And I think we discussed a little bit about it uh, before the call. But I would specifically wanted to know, like, an emerging manager who's starting our fund and and thinking, like, who are the LPs I can reach out? What are they supposed to do when they're reaching out to LPs? That's also another, you know, side question. <laughs> of course, yeah. So first and foremost, for Gingerbread and at Gingerbread Capital, our first priority is direct investments into female-founded and co-founded companies. And our sweet spot is kind of Series A to Series C stage companies. That's where we like to play. And as I said, like, you know, while we, you know, we love founders, we're not going to be the ones that are like, willing to take the risk of being that first check-in. So when we looked at, well, how do we, how do we kind of solve for this problem of capital to women? So we write checks directly to female founders, 
But we also believe that just as important is that capital in the hands of women who are writing checks and underrepresented people that are writing checks. And so that's where we started to see how can we get deal flow for ourselves, but then also you know, empower people who do want to take that risk earlier and are more focused on even earlier stage companies to get them capital. And so that's how we uh, went into becoming an LP in emerging funds. And so all, we, as you said, we have 18, as of today, we have uh, 18 fund commitments, or maybe it's 19, but roughly 18. <laughs> and um, the, the majority, just like our gingerbread ethos, is their uh, funds with women GPs. And so we have women GPs, and then we have three uh, that are male GP driven, but there are two uh, black uh, led GPs and one Latino male GP. And our first and foremost focus of when we're looking at this is that, first of all, do we like the, their philosophy, their thesis, their investment thesis of what they're going after? Do we think that this is something that will, is needed? And then also that we will, there's a chance that we will get to see great female founders come out of that, uh, out of that portfolio. So that's what we're, we're looking for when we start talking to them. Uh, and so, you know, is there a woman GP, an underrepresented minority GP? That's first and foremost. And then beyond that is what are they investing in? And so with 18, we, we don't want 18 doing the exact same thing. So of our 18, only two of them, and I'm thinking of this, only two are specifically focused on also backing women. And they're backing women in the seed stage which is earlier than we would go to. But the rest of them have no gender mandate. And that's the thing, we, we're not only looking for only women, only writing checks in other women. What we believe is that just like it kind of seems what has happened in VC in general is that the majority of venture capital investors are male, are white male, and the majority of the money is going to <laughs> white men. So we believe if we get the hands, uh, capital in the hands of women, and underrepresented people, we will see more of yeah. those things in their portfolio naturally, because first of all, founders will look to find investors that look like them, uh, that they'll hope they'll relate to. That's not always the case, but like you'll, you'll hopefully see that organically, whether they have a gender mandate or not. And that's what we've found as we've looked across. So we've looked across from how many women are coming through, what industries are they investing in? What is their philosophies? And then we try to balance it out so that we, we're not overweighted in yeah. too many of the same things. So we have funds that are focused on consumer. We have funds that are like deep, deep tech. And we have funds that, have, um, that are enterprise SaaS focused. So we have that, uh, the spectrum. And, it, and for us, we're early in this game. So we want to cast a wide uh, lens to see where do we see um, women are creating in every kind of different thing out there. And so that's the story we're telling in these first few years of Gingerbread is that women are building businesses and women are investing in different types of businesses as well. So um, that's what you see when you look across our portfolio, whether it be direct or across our LP investments. I love that. I love that thesis and 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 the and the ethos of the fund. So let's talk about the biases and prejudices. You know, venture capital is one industry that has not been disrupted as such, and now we are seeing some changes coming. So um, as people like you who are more, uh, bringing movement into the industry, and do you see biases and prejudices, you know, played in the past uh, that has come in effect, especially for people like you who are catalysts for change? 
Oh, I mean, you know, we get asked, you know, if we're a nonprofit or we get asked, you know, aren't we afraid we'll miss the next Facebook and just all that kind of stuff or like um, assume that we must only look at like consumer companies and things like that. And so, of course, there are there are biases when you say there shouldn't be. But when we were like, yeah, we focus on women and then we're like, oh, man, aren't you afraid of? women are 51% of the US population, right? Like, so technically we're, we're looking at the uh, overlooked majority, not the, not the um, underlooked minority. So um, it's, it's just one of the, the, the things where you have to do it and show outcomes. And that's what we also say is this is not a philanthropic mission. Yeah. Our goal, we are ex Goldman Sachs, like trade <laughs> investment makers or traders is return. And ultimately you will not start dispelling these biases or myths until you start seeing returns. And so that is our hope. We hope our founders, our fund managers will be wildly successful. And then, you know, eyes will continue to open so that you don't always have to say female founder or I'll, you just say founders, but like, you know, we're not there yet. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this, this is such a good segue of talking about what's the future is going to look like in the market, because there's so many early stage, um, you know, venture capital funds that are, that are coming. Uh, I would love to know your take, especially when you are looking at so many early stage VC funds, and I'm sure that um, thousands of applications have come your way to invest in them. What do you think is the future of early stage investing, especially in the lens of DEI? Well, I mean, I hope that, you know, as you see some of these investors break out on their own, either it signals to some of the larger, more established firms, like, wait, let's let's give them a reason to stay or, or not have to go, that it, the change will happen. But I, I think if you if you start to see success, if they if if some of these funds get really, you know, strong returns, strong exits and all of that, you will start to see them get bigger or you will start to see the other existing established players hire more people uh, like them into their firms. So, you know, it, it, the hope is that like these brave few that are out there taking the very difficult, raising a fund is extremely yeah. difficult. I mean, we, you know, we're pausing at 18 so we could just, you know, manage and look at how these perform, but there's so many talented people that are out there, um, you know, st uh, staking a claim on their own that that we hope that um, their success will lead to more capital flowing to them from LPs, institutional LPs, um, and that it, it, it will just get bigger and more opportunities for the founders that they then have to go back. So their success will will should, you know, hopefully broaden the pie for everyone and hopefully that can do that. That's great. And now let's, as you talked about, you know, the downstream impact that you're creating, especially in the seeding pool of this uh, first time uh, female entrepreneurs or first time female fund managers, I would love to know your take also, how are you looking at, especially in the venture capital landscape, as we are seeing that the private companies are staying private longer, right? So as these companies are staying private longer, do you think that companies like Stitch Fix and Bumble, like when they had to do an IPO at series C or series B, and many of the companies that are run by male, they are going to series FG and God knows how further. Um, do you see there is, there is definitely a, 
it, it's the land fundraising landscape is a little bit skewed especially when you're a woman fund manager when you go down the road especially you know after in the growth cycle i know you're not a growth stage investor but i would love to know your little bit take on that because it has become interesting to see there's not many women check writers especially in that in that stages yeah i mean i think that is one of the things where upstream they it, it will continue to happen as there are are more women that are going into first into the private sector of private stage investing and then moving up and down the food chain. And as you see um, some of these companies as they mature and exit, maybe these women might come back and become growth stage investors or you, you never know. Um, but, I, but I think until you have more exits, more successful women having the kinds of fumble, the kinds of stitch fix, the kind, those kinds of exits, you, you'll see like when men have had those kinds of exits, they turn around and invest back into the ecosystem and start being active angels or maybe even become VCs themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you've seen that in, in the example of, of like Jenny Fleiss, who uh, from Rent the Runway to, to Walmart and now joining Volition. So I do believe that as you see more female founders start companies and grow them to a certain size, whether it's exit, whether it's just getting it really big and going on to the next thing, you will start to see more women enter into the investing seat uh, and, and continue to, to, to grow that pie. But I, I, I think it's, it's hard to like all of these people, male, female, gender, it's hard <laughs> to take a company and turn it from, you know, nothing yeah. into, you know, a stitch fix, into a bumble. It takes a lot of work and most companies fail. Everybody knows yeah. that, you know, most companies fail, especially venture back companies fail. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this is why those that make it to the other side are rare beings, no matter who they are. Uh, but we also know that a lot of these female founded companies have gone further with much less capital. I believe Stitch Fix only had raised what forty-seven million before they went public. Yeah. So you know, I, I think about times like during the pandemic and the downturn, and, and everybody's like, "Oh God, where's the capital going to go?" Women have had no capital for a long time anyway. <laughs> so we've been doing a lot with a little for a very long time. Uh, I would love to see that change so that you know they could get there faster, like like other companies. But it's not going to stop women from continuing to try to build the biggest companies that they can. I would just hope that, you know, eyes light up and say, you know, if we fund these with a little bit more, give them a little bit more resources, we can even get to the outcomes we all want uh, uh, faster. And so that's kind of what we hope for by doing our direct investments, as well as investments in our, our fund managers that if we tackle it at both ends, hopefully, you know, we'll continue to see uh, better outcomes sooner. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very good segue for my next question is that since we are talking about power law distribution, it's like you are a family office, you do not have any you know, external LPs, do you still feel the pressure of focusing on returns and how do you want to see yourself moving towards the market trends like there are a lot of trends there are a lot of, you know, FOMO that's in venture capital is basically filled with that and, and this is like oh I'm, am I going to miss out in the next big opportunity. And you talked a little bit about it, but I would love to know as a family office, how are you looking at the market, especially when you know you have the control over the investments that you wanna make and you have the control over the returns that you wanna see? Yeah, I, I do think we are in a fortunate position uh, where without having outside LPs that we can kind of truly focus and stick to our thesis, what we're trying to do without 
the the fear of oh we've got you know the the seven the seven to ten year horizon uh, with which we have to invest so that does make it different for us and that does make it i you know better for us to really get behind those that we have conviction in and and stick with them for kind of the long haul um because it's we're not going to be forced to like either you know just pay less attention or liquidate or all those kind of things um and so th there is a, a a definite difference there that is not um that is that is different than what a traditional closed end um uh fund is structured so uh, you know to me i think it's an advantage and i i truly enjoy that because you know whether we come in you know there's certain ones where we've come into a company say at a series c where uh, like a like you can't like those yeah. that math does not work for you know a seed stage fund or or some other ones to to come in that late for the economics of their of their uh, fund portfolio construction. Yeah, yeah. And for us, it, it, it is that some of those times we've had women uh, in those stages seek us out because mm. up to then they might still have never had a woman on their cap table. Um, and male or female, there are very few male or that are the former head of tech banking at Goldman Sachs that bring those kinds of relationships uh, have been in the rooms of what it takes when the conversations are happening about acquiring, about IPO and all of that. And very few female founders have that kind of network to tap into. And so that's why for us, we don't necessarily have to have a board seat. We don't have to like be the largest check in the room to be willing to give our founders that kind of um, place that they can come to for advice and bounce ideas off of. Um, and knowing that we are just on their side, wanting their, the best outcome for them. Wow, I cannot believe I'm coming almost at the end of the questions. You know, it's like we had such an amazing time starting this. And right now we are in the middle of a pandemic, you know, and that's why we just started having this discussion, you know, it's like getting ourselves ready, ready to go. So uh, how are you managing your work-life balance? Because you're managing this, um, you know, gingerbread capital alongside, you know, you have your portfolios. Would love to know your take. And also if you can talk a little bit about the mental health of all this amazing fund managers and entrepreneurs who are raising during this time where there's not much of a human connection, which is only through this kind of a Zoom scenarios. Well, I think, you know, it's very funny. I laugh. I, I'm a very big extrovert, but I, I also was apparently built for a pandemic because I really <laughs> had no qualms not going anywhere for a year after being like, you know, on planes and trains and whatever. But one of the things, one of the reasons why Ginger, we are a, a virtually and always have been a virtually distributed team. So I'm wow. based in New York. Linnea and our senior associate are based in the Bay Area. Um, and we have team members that are in Baltimore, in Boston. Um, so we have always been that way, even before the pandemic. So for us, working virtually as a team was the norm and not the exception. So okay. I think when the pandemic and the shutdown hit, like we actually were all together, we we're about to go to South by uh, right in March 2020, which would have been the super spreader event of the world. Had it, <laughs> it might have wiped out civilization. I don't know. But when we didn't go there, we all went back to our respective homes and haven't seen each other in person since March of 2020. But we see each other every day and we like talk, text, like we we're communicating on so many different threads that uh, that we are actually more in touch now than we ever were. Um, so that aspect of our work didn't change. So works, our, our work styles didn't change. Everybody else just started working like the way we always were. But I, I, but I think we 
um, what I love about Gingerbread, what I love about Linnea's leadership is that, you know, she, if, the, if we are needing something and if we need like a mental break or whatever, we can do that. We're, we don't have to feel afraid to say, what, how is the team feeling? What do we need to be doing? Celebrating different things. Um, uh, so, so it's the culture of an organization matters so much. Um, you know, I think about it when George Floyd happened, when, when the most, the recent AAPI was happening, we felt comfortable as a team to just talk about how we felt, you know, cry if you need to cry, be angry if you need to be angry. And it, it is not, it is not, I know that it's rare to have a work environment where you can feel it shouldn't be. And I hope that that, that becomes the, the lessons learned of all of this, where people have become more vulnerable in general, that you can bring your full self to work. And I can say that I bring my full self to work every day. And that's helped uh, go through a pandemic where you didn't have to hide or you didn't, you could just be. Um, and that's so important in how you stay mentally strong um, through something like this. And then you also have to be able to laugh and even if you're, you're apart. So, I mean, we send each other funny articles or, or, or go down rabbit holes on Instagram together. So like all of those kinds of things are happening even though we, we haven't seen each other in a year. Yeah, I'm so thankful to connect with you. And thanks to Suchi and Dong who actually connected us. Love and uh, thanks a lot for your time. And this is incredible. I'm, I'm super excited to have you on CVC. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Bye.